You are listening to Redefining Anxiety with Jennifer Aldersley. I think one of the hardest things to really try to wrap your head around when you're dealing with debilitating anxiety is why all of a sudden you can't do the things that you used to be able to do. I hear on a weekly basis when I'm working with people, you know, I don't understand why I can't go into Costco. I have been shopping in Costco my whole life. I don't understand why I can't go to the movie theater. Why can't I go to a restaurant? How come I can't drive? Things that we've been able to do our our whole lives all of a sudden feel impossible. And so today I really want to talk about that and about the association that our brain makes with places in particular and danger. And so we're going to be talking about things like restaurants and movie theaters and shopping malls, stores, but just know that this association that we're going to be talking about can also be formed with people. It can be formed with foods. There is this very powerful, uh, in the somatic world, they call it overcoupling, but it's an association that the brain makes with some kind of stimuli and the panic and the danger. This is something that I can definitely relate to personally. I can remember when I had anxiety disorders, just sitting in my car while my partner was inside getting groceries and just watching the people coming out from the store like it was no big deal and just feeling really, really sad and and really down on myself about how difficult this was for me and the fact that I couldn't do it. And sometimes I'd try if I was having, you know, a particularly good day, I would try to go in and very often I would panic and end up having to leave and going back to the car. But so much of the time I didn't even go in because it was just too overwhelming to my body. It felt too dangerous. And somebody who doesn't have debilitating anxiety has a really hard time understanding that, especially if they've known us for a really long period of time, right? This is something you've always been able to do. This is something that we used to do together. Why now is it so terrifying? And so to understand how this changes, we need to start off talking about our good old buddy, the stress response. And we're just going to do a quick recap about this because I've talked about it in other podcasts before. And if you've ever done any of my free trainings, you've heard me explain this. But remembering that the stress response is what we experience when we go into fight or flight. There's an area in the brain called the amygdala. It's known as the brain's watchdog, and it responds to different kinds of stimuli. And that can be a thought. It can be something we see. It can be a smell. It can be a sound. It can be a strong emotion, a memory. But the amygdala has decided that whatever the stimuli is, that it's dangerous. And so it triggers the stress response. So it communicates with the hypothalamus gland, which communicates with the pituitary gland, and then finally the adrenal glands. And the adrenal glands release hormones like adrenaline and cortisol that give us a lot of the traditional feelings that we experience with anxiety, right? That feeling of the racing heartbeat, feeling like we need to get more oxygen into the body. Sometimes we experience like whooshing, shaking. Some people experience tunnel vision, etc. So remembering that this stress response is automatic and occurs without a conscious thought. And then after that hormone dump, the thinking part of our brain kicks in again 
and we ask ourselves, am I actually in danger? And if we truly believe we're not, so for example, if somebody jumped out and surprised us, or maybe we were on a roller coaster, as the body metabolizes those hormones, our body will calm down. If we're not sure, or we think we might be in danger, we can have another stress response, and we can end up with cyclic rebound anxiety, full-blown panic, etc. Okay, and so when people are talking about the stress response, we often hear the analogy of, you know, when we were cave people and out gathering berries and you ran into a bear or a saber-toothed tiger is often what they <laughs> what they use an example. But let's say we're out and we ran into a bear, right? Our body's going to have a stress response. It will decide in that moment automatically if it thinks that we can fight the bear or if we can run away from the bear. If it doesn't think we can do either, there is also the third option of freeze. But whatever it decides, there's a very clear threat. We don't ever have to question, why am I experiencing this stress response, right? We know it's because of the bear. And if this is our first time ever encountering a bear, the brain is going to remember and associate that bear as being dangerous, right? The bear is the threat. The bear is what is causing this stress response. So that that little part of the brain, that amygdala goes, oh yeah, we're going to store bear in there. Now, of course, the stressors of modern day life are very different than they used to be. And when we're dealing with chronic and debilitating anxiety, there isn't always an identifiable threat. So very often, it's actually the sensations in our body that we react to. Those sensations that we interpret as being dangerous. Now, remembering that when we're dealing with debilitating anxiety, we are most often going back and forth from the dorsal vagal state to the sympathetic state, both of them being considered survival states. So we're in this constant state of hypervigilance. So even when we're not activated, when we're not in that sympathetic state, when we're in the dorsal vagal state, we're still hypervigilant. We're still, even though our body might feel calm, we're still in a survival state. So remembering that when we're hypervigilant, we are constantly scanning for danger, scanning externally and internally. And so something like seeing a bear would be a very obvious external threat. The internal threats often come from sensations in our body that feel unsafe. So if all of a sudden you feel dizzy or you experience heart palpitations or that whooshing feeling we can so often get with chronic anxiety, our body often interprets that as being dangerous and responds with a stress response, including that dump of hormones that will then increase the sensations in our body. Then when the thinking part of the brain kicks in and asks us, are we actually in danger? If your heart is racing fast and you're feeling like you can't breathe and you're starting to sweat and shake, very often we can say, oh gosh, I might be, right? Am I going to have a panic attack? Am I experiencing some kind of medical emergency? Whatever it is, I don't feel safe. And so we trigger another stress response and can end up in full-blown panic. Now, remembering that your anxiety's main job is to keep you alive and to keep you safe. So it's looking for some kind of cause to the sensations that you're feeling. It's looking for that threat, right? It's looking for that bear. And when it can't find it, when there isn't a clear threat, 
it often creates an association between where you were and the panic. Okay, so let's go over an example of how this can work. So say every week you go shopping to Target. You have done that every week for as long as you can remember. It might not be your favorite thing. You might find that you experience a little bit of anxiety there, but it's still something that you're able to do. And then one day you go into Target experiencing that lower level of anxiety, but in the middle of your shopping, you experience some dizziness. Your heart feels like it skips a beat or any other kind of physical sensation that doesn't feel safe to you. Now we know that so many of the sensations that we can experience with anxiety can be caused from the nervous system dysregulation that we all experience with anxiety. We can have sensations when we don't have enough sleep, when we're dealing with hormone fluctuations, from too much sensory input, distorted thinking, or even low blood sugar. But remembering that the stress response is automatic and it occurs without us taking that minute to think, hmm, what's going on here? And really examining, did I get enough sleep? Did I forget to eat breakfast? What could be causing these sensations? So from that hypervigilant survival state, we're going to feel that sensation and have an instant stress response. Once the thinking part of our brain kicks back in, if we can identify those sensations are because, oh, geez, I forgot to eat. Of course, I feel this way. I always feel this way when my blood sugar gets too low. Once those stress hormones are metabolized, we'll start to calm down. And there's likely no association formed between target and the stress response. What often happens is we interpret those sensations as dangerous. We become afraid that we're going to have a panic attack, that we're in some kind of danger, that we're experiencing some kind of medical emergency, right? We start to panic. We run out of the store, go to our cars and kind of stay there until we calm down. And our brain's trying to figure out what was the threat? Where was the bear? What is the thing that I need to protect my person from? And when it can't find a threat or a reason, it'll often create an association between the place that it happened and the panic. Our brain decides Target must be dangerous. And the next time we try to go back to Target, and for some people even think about going to Target, we're going to experience anxiety. And if you're feeling afraid and considerable anxiety, you're probably not going to go back to Target, right? And that's what your brain wants. It's your brain's way of trying to protect you and keep you safe. So when we are dealing with debilitating anxiety and things like panic disorder, where we're experiencing more panic attacks you know, often and frequently, you can see how your world could become small very quickly with this kind of association. Because first it's Target, and then it happens at Walmart and Costco, then all of a sudden it feels like shopping in general isn't safe. Then maybe you experience panic when you're at a restaurant and then all of a sudden restaurants don't feel safe. And it can get to a point where anything outside of the house feels dangerous. At the worst times of my anxiety, the only place I really felt safe was in my bedroom. And so even getting up to go to other areas of the house felt dangerous. So working to be able to change this association requires a combination of a few different things. So of course, like anything else with anxiety, we want to work on addressing the nervous system dysregulation, teaching the body how to be able to deactivate and regulate, increasing our nervous system capacity, 
So that applies to everybody with anxiety. But when we're working specifically with these kind of associations, we use a combination of something that I call somatic exposure and EFT tapping. Somatic exposure is different than traditional exposure. If you've done traditional exposure work, it often revolves around continuously putting yourself back into the place where you experienced the panic attack and waiting it out until the body calms down. So for example, if we were talking about our person who had the association with Target, traditional exposure would look at going into Target, panicking in Target, and staying there. This is often done with a therapist or a safe person, but the idea being that eventually the body will calm down and that you'd keep going back and doing that over and over again. Now, what we know about the nervous system is that the body will calm down after extreme periods of stress and anxiety, right? After extreme sympathetic activation. But just because the body has calmed down doesn't mean that it feels safe. It doesn't mean that we've taught it that target is safe. When we've experienced significant sympathetic activation, the body will go into freeze, which is also a state of the parasympathetic nervous system. That's our dorsal vagal state. So the body will calm, but it's still in a survival state. We've not taught it that target is safe, right? We've not broken that association. So what we do with somatic exposure is use tools like EFT tapping and creative resourcing or pendulation and teach the body in very small steps that target is safe, that is not in danger when we're in target. The first step of that is usually done with visualization, visualizing yourself going into target, and then pulling up a creative resource that helps your body access the ventral vagal state, going back and forth between the image of you walking into target and that creative resource. Then once we're able to think about going to target without experiencing any kind of activation, then we would drive to target, sit in the parking lot, see if there's any kind of activation in the body or anxiety, right? If there is, that's as much as we would do. Again, we pull up our creative resource. We use EFT tapping, wait until the body feels calm and safe. And then we would do that step again, not moving on until we could sit in the parking lot without experiencing any kind of activation. And of course, these steps are going to be a little bit different for everyone. But then the next step, say, is walking into Target, seeing if we experience any activation there, maybe staying in there for about a minute and then leaving. Again, using resourcing tools, using EFT tapping, and then not moving past that until we can do that without experiencing any kind of activation. And working through that process step by step until we can go into Target and shop without our body having any kind of stress response. In this way, we're teaching the body that it's safe in Target. And so it doesn't have to have a stress response in the first place. We're not just simply bracing ourselves and pushing through it and experiencing anxiety every time we go back. Okay, so I hope that that helps to explain why something you may have been able to do for 10, 20, 30 years can all of a sudden become so anxiety producing and sometimes to the point where we can't do it or we certainly can't do it without experiencing high levels of panic. It is an association that's created by your brain in an attempt to try to keep you safe because there isn't a clearly defined threat for it to be able to protect you from. And I hope that it also is able to show you that just because something feels overwhelming today and maybe you can't do it, maybe you're not able to go shopping and target, 
doesn't mean that in one month, three months, or six months, you won't be able to do it again, and that you can teach yourself to feel safe in any of those situations again. If you have any questions at all, feel free to email me at jen at holistichope.ca. You can also check out our website at holistichope.ca, and then come and join our free Facebook community just by searching Holistic Hope Anxiety Community. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you more soon.